pretty soon you guys will be celebrating again another New Year's. I miss Dick Clark and the, that red ball coming down and uh, thinking about how you guys are going to celebrate this. Anybody going to make New Year's resolutions? Anybody do that? Because people forget to do that. They make them and then they break them. Uh, a New Year's resolution is something that goes in one year and out the other. And uh, I made a New Year's resolution. It's to stop hanging out with people who make New Year's resolutions. <laughs> well, we've got a new year coming. <clears throat> It'll be a new year and a, a new you. Uh, and there are far more things that are coming up this year uh, that are better than last year than the things that we leave behind. C.S. Lewis said that. And thinking about all that Isaiah was talking about, I'm going to do something new. And the idea of doing something new means, one, getting rid of the old, those old sins that really kind of uh, hamper our understanding and, and bog us down. The idea that to live with your heart set free, this year would be a great year when you walk in peace. And, and, and all the way through the scriptures, it says if anyone is in Christ, the old does pass away. So there's hope for the fact that this year the best is still to come. And uh, God began a good work. And this year he's going to continue that. And so uh, Paul would say in Corinthians as well. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2.9 Eye has not seen and ear has not heard all that God has got prepared for you this year. And so to go through this year to think that okay God I'm I'm ready to walk with you anew, afresh, and I want to leave that which is behind, and I want to move with you in this new year, but I want to, I want to see you, hear you in this brand new year. Uh, this year is a, a new year, but in China, you may know this as the year of the pig. Anybody know about the, the year of the pig? Last year was the year of the rat. And so uh, if you haven't been in uh, different cultures, you begin to think of how different people celebrate New Year's. And of course, uh, this time I'm, I always think about neighborhoods. For the neighborhoods in Japan, uh, every neighborhood of about 20 to 30, 40 houses, they would get together in their community and they would burn. They'd have these uh, bonfires, I mean huge bonfires, 10, 15 feet tall fires and people would bring in these dolls that were good luck dolls and they would throw them in the fires and they would put a straw on their cars and on their houses to ward off the evil spirits and they would throw rice wine um, to chase off those demons but they always go to the temple and uh, five minutes trying to ring the bell that big big rope this big and They'd pull down the rope to try to wake up their gods to bless them in the new year. It was crazy over there. Uh, in England, they have a tradition that the first person who comes through the door is going to be the one that represents prosperity and good luck. And so it should be a man bringing a loaf of bread and a bottle of wine. And they think that's a good thing, that things will go well. But this thing of the zodiac was kind of an interesting thing to me as I was reflecting on the Chinese and the Japanese and the Orientals. Uh, 
I don't know. If, no, I don't know if you know this, but uh, this uh, year of the pig is based on the whole zodiac system, and the zodiac from the ancient zodiac astrology uh, was used way back in the time of Rome, and even before Rome, it was based based on the uh, Babylonian. Astral, astrological charts, which stem way back to Abraham's time of Ur of the Chaldees. The Chaldees and the Babylonians being the same thing. Uh, it goes way back to the, uh, the Bronze Age. So people would look at the stars. And interestingly, Israel knew of the Zodiac. When you get into the Old Testament, uh, this is Abraham's backyard. And the, uh, Abraham, the father of our faith, um, he was from the region, from Ur of the Chaldees. And so they were very much as a tribal people exposed to the night skies and without the, all the lights of the cities. And so the stars come, came into play. And God used those stars that Abraham saw as the very promise uh, that his descendants would be as the stars. So going back clear to Abraham, you find the work of the stars involved because the, uh, the, even the stars, David would say, would, de would declare the glory of God. And so way back in the Old Testament, you find in biblical times uh, that, that the stars would represent not only... Um, God's blessing, but there's something about how they would use those stars to navigate their year. And so in the Old Testament, you would find uh, in the Hebrew scripture, in Ezekiel in particular, in Ezekiel you would have the lion, Leo, the bull of Taurus, the man representing Aquarius, and the eagle representing Scorpio, even back in Ezekiel. And if you remember, uh, uh, Psalms talks about Orion. And it talks about the bear, the Ursa Major, and Draco, the, the serpent. But if you go back to vacation Bible school, where we had Babylon, uh, you would see that not only would you have the signs of the zodiac, but, the, but going back into Babylon, that lion and those astrologers that Daniel had to deal with in the, in the, uh, in the book of, of Daniel, they were astrologers steeped in thinking what was the alignment of the stars. And if we could understand the stars, we could interpret the influence that they would have on, on governing. And yet we know uh, from Daniel on that those, those stars were part of the very um, instruments that the wise men would use to follow Christ. And so they figured out from Babylon how they would find the Christ child. And so there's a lot of references to, to the use of astrology, but at the same time, you will find people in this day and age, who will try to read into Scripture and try to meld astrology and the Bible together. 
I know some Russian Christians who, who are into numerology and they were into astrology and they tried to figure out the Bible means this and secret codes and so on and so forth. And, uh, and yet God, God specifies that we as Christians are not to be involved in looking to pagan religions or pagan symbols to find out guidance. And yet our horoscopes are, are, are very much present today. As you think about, uh, as God sees them, they will be a stubble in judgment. They're not of God. And we are warned to, we're expressly forbidden in Scripture, do not go to these for any kind of wisdom or guidance. And several times uh, in, in the Old Testament, Israel fell into this idea that this was a common practice. And they, they did that which everybody did at that time. And yet from our vacation Bible school, we realized that it was only Daniel who worshiped the living God who had the ability to interpret what the signs were. And at best, these were popular uh, systems that would... Uh, give people a false hope, a false belief. But in contrast to those guys, Daniel walked with God and Daniel knew what God would say. And as a prophet, he was very clear and not confused because Daniel understood how to hear the voice of God. And it's that theme that I want to talk about this as, as we come together this year that my hope and my desire is that you will learn how to walk and hear God personally every day of your life as we move into understanding this wondrous thing we call the Christian life. That follow me. Christ, Christ wants to walk with you. Christ wants to uh, counsel you. He's the wonderful counselor. And so many times when we think about Christianity, we either tend to think about it as a, as a moral system or as a philosophy or as some enterprise we talked about before. But it's this idea that God made you for himself and he wants to spend time with you, to, to speak to you, to encourage you. And so in the Old Testament, you get this ancient call. And the ancient call uh, is from Deuteronomy. And, and this, this call, the, if you were Jewish, you would understand the word Shema. And the word Shema, this is famous. And so you should know this because it begins, it begins the first thing that Moses says to Israel is, Hear Hear, hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is our God, and the Lord is one. And to hear God, and to hear, and attend to, and understand, and to comprehend, and to move in this relationship that you have heard God, and you understand God's word, not only not only uh, in a private time, but as the church as a whole corporately, we are all called as the people of God to hear privately and corporately. But he goes on to say, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind. Hear that God wants everything about you. 
and to know that God is moving to speak to all those aspects, not just the physical, but the emotional, the relational, the financial, the blessings, so on and so forth. God wants to speak with each one of us. And he says, these words which I am commanding you this day shall be on the heart. Uh, the heart. And I see that smile. And the idea that God would not just be speaking to your head, but these words would have value, personal value, that you come to appreciate them in such a way that you say, these are so inside of me. And so when David would say, I love thy law, I meditate on it all the day long. The motivation is an internal one, not an external one. And so David was, was calling, as, as did Moses, that the Shema would be one of these prayers. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. And when you hear God, when you hear God and it's in your heart, then you'll pass it on and you'll teach. Uh, you'll teach them to your sons and your daughters, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. In other words, that word that you heard would become so alive in you that you, when you would talk, it would just naturally come out. And that's what Israel grew up on. The Shema is only one of two prayers. And every day, in the morning and the evening, they would pray, one, the Shema, according to the Torah. The second one was they would say grace after meals. Gentiles, we say grace before meals, but the Jews would say the Berkat HaMazan, the grace after the meal. Those are the two prayers that they all say. But it's, the, <clears throat> it's this Shema that I want to focus on because he talks about hearing God. Hearing God. Behold, the former things have come to pass. I do declare. What? God is going to say things that he's going to do. What? And the idea that God would speak and, and declare his intention that he's going to do something for us to walk with us. And, and he says, the former things have come to pass. I, new things I do declare before they spring forth, I'm going to communicate, I'm going to tell you. So what we have in Scripture is, is a God who is not just there, and not just silent, but He is a God who's there and He speaks. He speaks and communicates because God is a God of relationships. If you believe anything about the Bible, is God is a God who communicates for the purpose of relationship. And therefore... As you study this, as I studied last week, uh, you read, Kim, the, the John 1.1. 1, 1. Well, I went back, and, and this week I, I, I discovered something I never knew about. Uh, you know this passage, John 1.1. 1, 1, In the beginning was, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Very famous uh, verse, common verse. Well, one of the things I did as I went back to study that, I thought, well, the Word... When you do the Greek study, the word is logos, which I understand. The word was logos. And, but I, I came to understand something in my reading that I never heard before. I'm 60, almost 66 next year. Uh, I never heard this. And the word was uh, not translated logos in the Bible uh, for many years. Uh, the Catholic Church has uh, used the Latin Vulgate from the 4th century on 
And they translated it, Jerome translated that, 380 something, he translated it that the word was verbum, not logos. It's in Latin form, and, and, and the word verbum just means word. The word was the word, like a dictionary entity, just one word unit, kind of the word was the word. And that was the word verbum. But the, the Latin uh, wasn't, that wasn't the right word. The other word that they would use was the word was sermo. Sermo? Never heard sermo. But wait a minute. I write sermos. It's the root of sermon. And in the Latin, the word should have been, the word was the sermon. And I, that got my attention. So I looked up the, what the word sermo meant. You know what the word sermo meant? It means conversation. The word was the conversation. And the conversation was with God. And God was pros, the pros he was with. It means the word was face to face. The son with the father. The father and the son had a conversation. And that conversation was with God. And the conversation was God. God was the very communication in a relationship, not just an entity, not just a dictionary definition. But here you got in the beginning was the Word. And so you have Jesus listening to the Father and the Father listening to the Son. And so I thought, huh. Then the first 300 years before they translated, they they used the word sermo. And the first 300 years, the Christian church were involved in listening into that conversation. They were invited into the conversation to hear Jesus speak with the Father and the Father speak with Jesus. And that became the pattern for the Christians because the Christians entered into a relationship where they were hearing this conversation. I didn't know that. Never heard about that. So we have in the Bible that God wants to speak, except here's a problem. When God speaks... It's not always clear. You find that true? That sometimes it's hard to hear God. Sometimes it's confusing. And, and so as we think about um, what the Bible, as God's speaking to us, we, uh, we've got some trouble because we don't think like God thinks. And his ways are higher than our ways. And a lot of time when God speaks, our expectation of what he says is so different than what he means. Let me give you some illustrations. Because when God speaks, he not only speaks to clarify, sometimes he speaks to confound or disconfirm. Now, interestingly, when Jesus came on the scene, God would say things almost in a, in, and do things in a way that just doesn't make sense. Why would you have a bush burning and not burn? Why would you have a a Jesus come to a virgin? Wait a minute, huh? It makes you scratch your mind to think the way God does things, as he says, are higher than our ways. And so instead of on a horse, he comes on on a donkey. And that's confusing. And when Jesus presented himself as the Messiah, they really didn't get him. And he particularly wanted to address and confuse people because what he was doing was he was exposing their inability to hear God fresh. 
And therefore, Nicodemus was stuck in his pattern. And if you're stuck in your preconceived notions of what God should do or say or think, you've locked God out and you've quenched the Spirit. So Nicodemus would say, wait a minute. Jesus, you're saying I've got to be born again? I don't get it. There's a lot of times when Jesus would speak that people didn't get. Remember when Peter, when Peter was saying, and, and, and James and John were there in the Mount of Transfiguration, and Jesus would say, you're hearing people. What do, who do people say that I am? And you notice all the disciples probably, they, I mean, they chimed in, but it was only Peter. It was only Peter who said, well, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. And, and, and then Jesus said, you know, Peter, this wasn't your understanding. This was revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. And he has made this known to you. And Jesus affirmed that. But at the same time, Peter turned around and said, well, this thing about you going to Jerusalem and being crucified for three days, no, that's not going to happen. And so somehow Peter was clear on one thing and confused on the other thing. And that's what we get sometimes. We hear God sometimes and we don't hear him other times and we get confused. We get confused. But God honored Peter when he recognized the Spirit was at work. When Peter heard, Jesus says, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And so there's something about hearing God when God is trying to get through to us. And sometimes he doesn't get through to us because we don't hear very well. And therefore, You have to understand that when God speaks, sometimes God speaks against us. Sometimes God speaks for us. But God is always with us. And he's always about us. So when he speaks, he's not just speaking to give you some instruction to do. He's really engaging in a conversation about how you understand who he is about how you understand what he does. And therefore, to hear the word, he's going to speak to those things that keep us in darkness. He's going to speak to us to change those things that keep us blocked out from understanding. And therefore, he sends his spirit. God speaks to us today in a number of ways. One, through the word. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for four things. Do you know the four things? You can count on God doing these four things. You can count on it. There are four things if you're going to listen and learn how God does. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that the word of God is inspired for what? For teaching, for rebuke, reproof, for telling you this is wrong. This is not right. This is wrong. And three, for correction. God's going to not only say this is wrong, but how do you get out of the wrong? And four, for training in righteousness. If you take those four aspects of the scriptures, how is the church doing in teaching? How is the church doing in reproving and dealing with sin? How, how is the church doing with correcting and getting us out of sin and then training in righteousness for most churches if they do a lot of teaching they do this but the other three are lacking but God speaks through the word he speaks through the Holy Spirit he speaks in prayer but sometimes you don't hear him he speaks 
through sermons. He speaks through Sunday school, through classes and Bible studies. He speaks through circumstances of going through, of going through cancer or going through accidents or going through having people break in your house and steal things. All those things really, God's, God's not just out there watching. He's in trying to get people's attention to say, wake up, pay attention. There's something happening here right now. God will speak through your wife. God will speak through your husband. God will speak through your kids. God will be speaking through creation. God will be speaking through my sin. God will be speaking through the demons. God will be speaking, and yet all that he does, we may not hear him. I wanted to point this out. Because this idea of spending time and learning how to listen means that you have to have personal time set aside to develop your ear to hear the Word of God, to hear God's voice, to hear what God's doing in your life. And so to hear the, the voice of God through whatever means, but primarily, but primarily you see uh, God wanting to come through us because he's trying to get our attention. But notice this. When, when God would say, Behold, days are coming when I will send a famine on the land. It's not a, uh, not a famine for bread or for a thirst for water, but for hearing the words of the Lord. And people will stagger from sea to sea and from the north even to the uh, east and they will, be, they will go to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they won't find it. What they find is God not speaking because people aren't skilled in learning how to listen. And Jesus would always say, he who has ears, let him hear. So let me just say up front, not everybody hears God. Not everybody has ears to hear. And therefore, it led me to think this week that, if I can get this screen up, that when you think about people that you deal with, that there are people who just can't hear God at all. There are people who are dead in their spirits. There are people who are deaf. They may be physically alive, but there's something broken in their hear, hearing. They, they, they can't hear because they're separate. They're distant from God. They won't be able to find God even if they wanted to because they're so they're in a different location. Then there are people who are just in denial. I don't want to hear God. I don't want to hear God. And re recognize that there is a resistance that's going on in the heart of some people that if you talk about God, they, they will just go silent and dumb because they really don't know how to enter into this relationship. They can't because they're separated from God. And therefore, you find people are very defensive. And they don't want anybody to talk spiritual because it's going to make them look bad. Or going to, they're going to be convicted or something. They just, no. And so the hand's up, right up. No, I don't want to talk about that. And if you meet people like that, you realize that you can find people who will who will be in resistance and therefore they, will may, they may end up debating you to deal with their internal struggle. But there are a lot of people who just don't have ears. And you work with them. You work with them. 
like you mentioned, your friend Megan. There's, there's, there's people who just, if they open that door, a whole lot of light's going to come in. And they don't know how to deal with the light. Therefore, they better stay away. And yet, even as Christians, sometimes, sometimes you find that we get conditioned to not listening. And therefore, for believers, there's a warning that you can become dull of hearing. That you get so used to things that you just kind of lose any kind of passion or interest or attention. And there are warnings in scriptures that if you become dull, you are going to be more prone to attack, more open to weaknesses because you will be drifting and allow for things to come in that you shouldn't allow to come in. Temptation and sin. The worldliness, things that just kind of culturally will overtake. And so you get used to saying things that you wouldn't say if you were grounded in Scripture. But you realize that the world's going to distract you. And certainly Satan's going to really take you out so that he'll do anything so that you don't hear the voice of God. And therefore, this is a real problem because in the Old Testament, there are people who lost their faith in Christ. In the New Testament, there are people who lost their faith in Christ. Not that they were lost, but they were Christians, but they were just lost their ability to hear God. And therefore, you move into this stage where if you really want this year to be a good year, this is the year, not of the pig, but the year of the lion. The royal lion, Aslan. And as Aslan the, the tri- from the Lion of Judah, when he speaks, when he roars, pay attention. But as Isaiah said, he has given me the ear of a disciple. Morning by morning, I awaken to be instructed. And this one has an ear that's trained to hear, to train to discern. And as that ear spends time with the Lord, your heart grows because I want to know who he is. I want to know what he's doing. And I want to know what he's doing in my life and in Sandy's life. I want him to know what he's doing in my son's life in Australia and John's out in Washington. God, I want to know. I want to listen. I want to know what you're doing because I want to pray because I want to hear you. And therefore, for us to understand that here, O Israel, doesn't mean that there's a cognitive awareness. It's an experiential awareness that God is speaking to you and wants to lead you and, and communicate to you. Jesus said it this way, my sheep hear my voice. What a wonderful thought. My sheep hear my voice. And they won't go after another. I know them and they follow me. Oh, what a great, what a great verse for this year. If you haven't prayed this, God, let me hear your voice. Shepherd me. Shepherd me. And, and Jesus would go on to say, who has my commands and keeps them? He's the one who loves me. To hear and keep, that word is the same as obey. The root of obedience is to hear. And it's not just to, I hear that, I recognize that, I acknowledge somebody saying something to me. To hear in the scripture means I'm paying attention to you so that when you tell me to do something, I'm going to go do it. 
is being a doer of the word, not a hearer only. I'm listening to attend to what you want me to do, and I'm, I'm right with you. I'm in step. Go get that mule. Go, go get that fish. The tax money's in the fish. Whatever God tells you to do, you do it, because you've heard and you follow. Well, Jesus would go on to say, uh, again, uh, this is Isaiah. Uh, the sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word to sustain the weary. And if you're with people and sometimes you don't know what to say, to pray and say, Lord, what do I say in this circumstance with this person? Give me the wisdom to hear you speak so I may know how to sustain the weary with the word. Well, we learn these things. We know these things. But Timothy was instructed by Paul, as we learned in the, in the Sunday school today. But notice this. He said one thing. He says, Timothy, you, however, you continue in the things that you have learned. You have learned. You have learned. You have heard. You have processed. It's information. You've got the data dump. You know the Bible. And you know these things, but notice what the other verb is. You've, uh, you've learned and become convinced of. There are people who have learned, but they're not convinced. And therefore, to spend time with God so that you do know that who God is and what God says is your anchor of your soul, and you're grounded in the scripture that you won't go to some zodiac. You won't go to something else. You'll go to the Lord himself. He says, but become convinced of these things, that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation uh, through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And there it is again. Where are those anchored? It's back in the scripture. But you've got to become convinced of those things. How do you get convinced of those things? You've got to hear the Holy Spirit convincing you, moving you, but you've got to hear him. And therefore, as we close this year, I go back to what I said a year ago, that your heart of devotion, the same as, as Mary and Peter and John and, and the Apostle Paul, they were all people who had the heart set free. They were really free of heart because they heard the Lord and the Lord gave them confidence and strength. It wouldn't make a difference what the world would say. You hear his voice. And my prayer for you this year as we get in is, is like we, said, we sang in the song. Uh, ponder anew what the Almighty can do if with his love he befriend us. Well, ponder anew if you walk this year day by day listening for Christ looking for Christ to teach you, to, to rebuke you, reprove you, to correct you, and to train you to keep in step with the Spirit. That's what I hope this year. That's what I'm praying as we move into the Lord speaks to you and you speak back to the Lord. Uh, as Ryan, come, come on up. We're going, to, we're going to close, but let me give you this invitation. Some of you haven't heard from God for a while. Some of you guys have not been in the scriptures for a while. Some of you may think what I'm talking about is, what's he talking about? I don't know how to listen to God. I don't, I don't know how that works. This year, I invite us all as a community 
this is not just the year of the pig or the year of the rat. Or <laughs> it's a year of the learning from the lion. We want to be a learning community. We want to learn how to grow and encourage each other to grow and build each other as we've been talking about in Ephesians so that we all mature in our ability to walk with Christ. And that's my prayer for us as we go into this year that God's going to let the old pass away and going to teach us new ways as we go deeper and walk with Him. Sounds exciting to me because I'm wondering what God's going to teach you and what you can share with each other so that we all grow. Well, that's good news. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, when we cry to you, your word says you hear every word. But it's not just a word, it's a conversation. And somehow we shut off the conversation. Sometimes you don't even hear it. So we would come to you and say, would you give us your wisdom? Help us understand what this is all about this year. As you want to do new things, we want to ponder anew, and we want to see you at work. And we want those who, who don't have ears to have ears. We want to be able to sustain those who are lost with hope. So Lord, would you come and would you grace us with the ability by your Spirit to listen to you and to obey you. And so we ask that you would do these things for your glory, for the growth of the church, and for our personal relationship with you. And we thank you that you know us intimately, and you know how to gently lead us into these things. And we pray these days, thanking you in Jesus' name. Amen.